I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. As always, I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as always, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the fastest 60 minutes of radio. And our goal is to slow it all down, to help you divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and make the news make sense in your world today. And there's a lot going on. We've got uh, hearings going on on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're continuing to track everything uh, related to the pandemic and what's happening there and a lot of the things that are opening up here in the state of Utah as we enter that yellow phase and watching a lot of things very closely there. Also, breaking news that you just heard here on KSL News Radio: the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, the Office of the First Presidency, issued uh, a directive today about safely returning to church meetings and church activities for the faith. And uh, this is uh, something we'll break down a little bit more a little later in the program. But if you're just joining us, uh, the church has authorized the uh, the fact that the area presidencies, the local uh, leaders, will work with members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the Presidency of the Seventy uh, to begin to look at a two-phase uh, approach to returning to standard practices. Uh, they laid out in uh, a document to those leaders uh, some of the uh, guidelines in terms of, of what that will look like and how that will take place. All of it, of course, uh, being focused on when local government regulations allow. Uh, so following the local guidelines in particular, uh, an encouragement to return to regular practices slowly. Uh, but let me just get, quickly give you the, the two phases uh, of this. Uh, first, uh, for Sunday activities, shortened meetings uh, with up to 99 individuals, again, following local government regulations. So if a local government only allows a gathering of 50, you're not going to have a gathering of 99. Uh, it also allows some other meetings and activities to take place in church buildings. Funerals and weddings in particular are mentioned. Uh, also encouraged to be shortened uh, and following local government regulations. Uh, and uh, continued use of technology uh, is also encouraged. Uh, for things uh, here in the state of Utah, uh, many members of the faith here in Utah, uh, on Sundays when members uh, don't participate uh, in a meeting house, they can continue to do some of that from home under the direction of their local bishop. 
Uh, and then it, it goes through and, and talks about some of the specific things in terms of uh, sacrament. Dave and Dejanovic uh, talked about that on in their program briefly in terms of how that would uh, take place and how that uh, part of it would move forward as well. Uh, and so, again, it's uh, very much a measured uh, two-phase approach for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, to make sure that they're doing this properly. Uh, some of the congregations here in the state of Utah are larger uh, even much more larger than 99 if that uh, they get to that <clears throat> phase. Uh, and so those, they say they, they can break those into smaller meetings. So you could have multiple meetings on a Sunday uh, with groups uh, below 99 in that first phase. So we'll continue to break this down. We'll do a little bit more uh, about 11.50 today. We'll uh, get into this a little bit deeper, what it means uh, for the faith, uh, also what it means for other faiths here in the state of Utah and how they are continuing to move forward as the state moves to yellow and progresses forward and, and watches how that all plays out. All right, I want to get to a couple of things real quick here in the first segment. Uh, hearings going on at Capitol Hill. We had Steve Mnuchin, the uh, uh, Treasury Secretary, made his appearance uh, for uh, the Senate Banking Committee convened today. Uh, he, uh, along with the Fed Chair, uh, also, uh, Jerome Powell uh, also appeared before that committee. Uh, and really, they're asking some important questions in terms of we've spent this much money or this much money has been allocated to stimulate the economy, to help small business and so on. Uh, one, is it working? And two, do we know we're doing it right? Uh, the uh, Democrat-controlled House passed a bill last week, another $3 trillion in spending. It's currently just uh, gathering dust on Mitch McConnell's desk on the Senate side of the House. And uh, I don't suspect he's going to do a lot with that other than come up with his own proposal. Uh, he has uh, suggested a pause is in order to make sure we're doing the right things uh, and then uh, move it forward from there. But I want to play to you just uh, a couple quick things uh, from testimony today. Again, this was on the uh, Senate Banking Committee today. Uh, Steve Mnuchin, Secretary, Secretary Department of the Treasury, uh, said this. We've issued more than $140 million economic impact payments for over $240 billion to provide direct relief to millions of Americans. All right. Uh, so he kind of laid out a little bit in terms of the, the number of payments and, and what's happening there in terms of those stimulus checks. Uh, he went on to uh, to talk about, I think, what has been a major concern for many members of Congress, and that is that the money that was allocated to really help small business owners and entrepreneurs, uh, really the, the backbone of the economy, uh, a lot of people are worried where that money's going. Here's what uh, Secretary Mnuchin had to say. I think we all had certain concerns about in the first tranche how larger companies were prioritized. I believe that's now been corrected. Uh, and this is so important. Uh, we talked about this with uh, Representative John Curtis yesterday. going to get to some sound from him in just a moment. Uh, but we've got to make sure there is transparency, that there is no waste, fraud, or abuse, and that there is accountability on the back end. Uh, we can't just keep dumping and tossing money at it as that good as that might make us all feel. If it's not getting to the right people, if it's not doing the right thing to actually get the economy moving, remember, that's the purpose here is to get everything rolling so that it will help all citizens, especially the poor, especially the most vulnerable among us. Uh, and sadly, too often in a lot of the government spending, the, the water never quite makes it to the end of the row. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad that Secretary Mnuchin says, hey, we, we did have a problem. 
Uh, a lot of that money was going to larger businesses, not small businesses. Uh, he said they had corrected that. Uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, we've got to get things straight before we start spending more. Uh, Jerome Powell, the uh, uh, Fed chair, uh, also weighed in today. He said this. At the Fed, we're committed to transparency, particularly in deploying our emergency powers. Public faith in our operations depends on that transparency. All right. So, again, that's the uh, the Fed chair, uh, Jerome Powell. So a lot, of, a lot to digest, a lot to break down and break through there. Uh, and a lot of chatter. There were uh, a lot of things uh, coming out of members of Congress who just can't seem to help themselves in terms of trying to get a social media moment or that one liner that's going to get them on national TV or is going to be great for their fundraising, for their reelection. Uh, so there was still a lot of that. There was a lot of demonizing of the other side, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, or whether you're liberal or conservative. There was plenty of demonization, plenty of finger pointing to go around. Uh but I, I want to pause at this point and, and one, really applaud Congressman John Curtis. Uh, I also know that uh, Representative Chris Stewart signed on to this bill as well as a co-sponsor. It's called Deal With the Debt Today Act. And the key word, the key word that Representative Curtis kept going back to is transparency. Transparency and accountability because that's the only way the American people can actually have trust in what the government's doing trying to balance very carefully the need for Congress to help in, in times of national emergencies and disasters, and yet at the same time put in some accountability for, for what we do. I've noticed since I've been in Congress uh, a number of times hurricanes or earthquakes or, or floods that we have responded to, and it's as if Congress has found this one little category where it gets to, to spend money with no accountability. And this simply adds in the, the backside of this, which says, okay, there are times when we need to do this, but let's pay it back. And the fact that you have to pay it back eventually builds in a much greater desire to have transparency, to make sure the money is well spent. If nobody ever comes back and asks uh, you to pay the money back, you're not as concerned about the transparency and you're not as concerned about fraud and abuse. Such an important thing that we have to have this accountability if Congress – if Congress doesn't feel like they are going to be held to account for what they're spending, then the motivation to do it properly with discipline, again, to make sure there is no waste, fraud, or abuse, to make sure that it is getting to the people it's actually intended to help, uh, if we can't do that, then we're just going to keep doing this over and over and over again. So I think that what Representative Curtis has laid out is very reasonable. It gives Congress two years to create the plan and 10 years to get it all done and pay it all back. Uh, if they don't get a plan done, then automatic cuts start to happen. I don't think that's a problem. All of us do that in our personal lives and in our businesses. We do it here in the state of Utah. We balance the budget. And if there's going to be a shortfall, we're going to have a critical conversation about it. And Congress has got to have that as well. So while we, we rush to help those that are in need, we've got to make sure we're doing it in a way that is sustainable and actually helping. Remember, if this isn't really getting to the right people in the right places, it's not going to help the economy. And that hurts everybody. And that's the key. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside. Uh, when we come back, a really important conversation. Morgan Pratt's going to join us. We're going to talk about Huntington's disease uh, right here on KSL News Radio. 
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.